Hello, you mindful mamas, and welcome back to another episode of the Enlightened Hood Podcast, where I share real motherhood stories and empower the soul of the mother through mindfulness and spirituality. I'm your host, Lena Lemos. Today's episode is very special to me. It is very close to my heart. Not going to lie, I did get a little choked up editing it. My very dear sister-in-law, Natalie, is being so brave and vulnerable and sharing her experience with infertility and the miscarriage that she went through earlier this year. And as the leader of this platform, I just feel so driven to help other women and especially those in my life recognize how much power there is in their story and how much power there is in vulnerability. Because if we're not having these conversations about actual motherhood experiences, then how do we know how to support each other? And the more we have these conversations, just how much power we have to help uplift and heal one another. So I want you listening right now in this very moment to know that your story is valid. Your story is worthy. Your story is powerful. And please, please share your story with other mothers because that's how we're going to help uplift each other, empower each other, and prepare this next generation of mothers to really understand the multifacetedness that is motherhood. So here's Natalie. I don't know, because I guess it starts even before you and Chris got married, right? Yeah. Your dreams of wanting to be a mom. My dreams of babies. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my goal in life was pretty much just to be a mom. Like, I know that that doesn't always come like naturally to people. And I know that some people aren't just like, some people just don't want to be moms and that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, career wise, work wise, life wise, I was literally just like, I want to be a mom. That's just it. So when we, before we even got married, we actually funny enough, had one of our first conversations via text and Chris was like, uh, well, no. Okay. I'll start from the beginning. So we had this like question game. It was like really stupid. It was like a kid thing. But when we started talking and one of the questions we asked each other was like, what do you want in life? And we both happened to answer at the same time. And we're like, get married young and have a big family. And after having one kid, it's more like a small family now, but, um, (laughs) not a big family, (laughs) but um, yeah, I mean, that was always our thing. It was kind of just get married young and have babies. Cause that was what we just wanted to do. And we got married, we started trying and this was like, a, how old was I? I was like 21. So it wasn't really like, I didn't know much about trying. I didn't know much about what went into it or what even trying was, um, other than the obvious. But, um, and when we started trying, it just started taking longer than needed. So then they, I started reading more on blogs and all these things about how it's supposed to take a year. And after a year should, it's like, it's when you start worrying or whatever. So a year passed and we're like, okay, like let's take the steps needed to see what, what we can do. So I got tested. He got tested, went through the whole protocol of like, um, artificial inseminations, which are IUIs and IVF and the difference and versus So we ended up wanting to try IUI for the first time. Um, They did a bunch of tests on Chris. His everything came back normal for him. And then for me, they did a bunch of tests for like 
PCOS and that was, that came back negative. So there was nothing there. And then pretty much what we ended was unexplained infertility. So pretty much for anyone trying and wanting answers, that was pretty much like the brick wall that you hit when they're, they're like, you can't do anything. Like there's nothing for me to do. Um, and so we started, we were like, okay, let's just give IUI a try and see what happens. So we did IUI number one failed. So anyone going through IUI knows you have to like do your, your own shot. You like, they give you this like crazy humongous injection that you have to like store in the fridge for 48 hours and then like do it. So I even remember on the eve of my 20, I want to say 23rd birthday, 23rd birthday. I, we were literally about to go out for my birthday and I was celebrating by laying on my bed and having Chris poke me with a needle. And we're like, (laughs) cheers. Happy birthday. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so then we did four of those. They both fit, they all failed. And then, um, we went to the doctor and they were kind of just like your next option. The only option to have a baby is IVF. And I was like, okay, I'm 24 years old. I've already put my body through hell and back. And I was like, let's just hold off. And if it's just not, not meant to happen, then I guess it'll happen when it does. And we went on vacation and we're like, let's get our minds off of this and see what happens. Um, and we didn't do it. And the day that I was supposed to start my next or the beginning of what was IVF, I got pregnant. So that just happened to happen. So I know that you, people have given you a lot of shit just because you've done things young, right? Mm-hmm. Literally like everything. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everything. You think it was hard to talk about it just because people had already given you so much crap for getting married young that it was a hard to say. A thousand percent. Look, I'm, I know I'm young, but I'm trying to be a mom and yeah. it made it feel less valid. Yeah. A thousand percent. So like getting married young was definitely not validated. I remember the first thing there was one person in particular who was like, you're getting married young. Like, why? I was like, what do you mean? Why? Like, there's never a why. Like, you know, when you know. So like, there's no, there's no why attached to it. Um, like we were just meant to, like, there were so many stars that aligned and that's just what our, what was meant to happen, our path that we were supposed to follow. And that's what we did. And then when we were starting to try for a baby at the ages of 24 and 26, we, I remember in the beginning, we didn't tell anybody because it just wasn't like, we just didn't really want to hear the backlash of anything that we were doing. So we kind of just like kept it to ourselves. I know that a lot of people didn't know about my IUIs until I was like on my third and we just kind of kept it like to ourselves, even my friends for a while didn't even know that we were trying for a baby. So then, and I know your mom had a lot of fertility issues. Mm -hmm. So did you start to connect the dots once you started going through all these different rounds of it? Or did you even consider it before you went into it? I kind of had like a feeling that it would maybe come up and I knew her history too. And her history was crazy because she tried for 10 years before wow. even having one, which is wild, wild. Um, so talk about determination. She's right. the one. But um, I mean, it, it, I knew it going into it that it might be rough and difficult. And then after the first year, we started getting more worried that that was our path. And we had had a conversation that we were like, if after like five years, we don't get pregnant, like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And I give so many kudos to the women who are like out there 
literally trying for like 10 to 15 years and like continuously trying after like failed attempts. And like, I can't, I just, I can't even, even imagine what that's like after two years of me going, like some people are like listening to this, like two years, like that's nothing. Um, but yeah, so we definitely knew that we had that conversation and we were like ready to pursue other routes if we needed to, mm-hmm. if that wasn't what we were going to be able to do. I think you have to give yourself credit too, because weren't you going every single morning? Every single morning. So we happened to live across where we were, like across the street, literally from where we were doing it. But like I had classes, Chris had work. Like we were going at like, if you got there past five o'clock, like you weren't going to be seen until like 8.30. Oh my God. I had to be there literally at like 4.45 to know that there was like, that everything's going to go, go well. And this was like two weeks at a time. And then you enter like the, am I pregnant? Am I not pregnant for like a good month before you can like get some answers. It was brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. I can't even imagine. All of it was brutal. Every single piece. <laughs> it was all worth it, but definitely all <laughs> ridiculously hard. So then you found out that you got pregnant naturally. Yeah. What was that like? It was, I, I can't even like describe what went through my mind. First of all, I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind that I was pregnant at all. I actually don't even, why did I even try a test? I don't know why I even thought I was pregnant at all. Um, and I think it was just that I started get like feeling sick a little bit, like sluggish. And I took the yeah, test and- so tired. I was so oh, tired. It was car, like, right? oh yes, that was the first thing that ever <laughs> happened to me. I was in the car for 15 minutes and I was dead asleep. Like <laughs> 1000, like I was snoring. There was like drool coming out of my mouth. I was asleep. And Chris was like, that just happened in 15 minutes. Like what is wrong with you? Um, so that was so, so crazy. But I remember that morning I, I took the test kind of knowing and anticipating another failure. So I didn't really like think anything of it. I woke up that morning and I just happened to have a test and I was like, I just, I guess I'll just take it. It's 10 in the morning, first pee of the day. So <laughs> I went, I peed and then I like just quickly forgot and that what I was doing and I went back and it said positive. And, um, that day coincidentally, Chris happened to have, happened to be working from home and he, and I like, was like, Chris, <laughs> like, what are you even doing? What, what are you doing? Um, I was taking so long and he came back and I was just like hysterically crying and I like was shaking I was crying and I didn't really know because obviously like the first thing after so many failures the first thing is like I could still have a miscarriage so I was like crying and I was like I don't know how much how pregnant I am like I don't know when my like period I, I just didn't know um, and Chris has like the worst, well, it's his worst and best habit that like when he's nervous, he just laughs. Like he can't <laughs> help it. <laughs> he just laughs. So he was laughing for like five minutes. And I remember the only thing that we could do was look at each other, laugh and just say, what is happening right now? Like we, just, <laughs> we didn't even know how to like process any of what was going on. And, um, and we just literally sat there and laughed and it was a Sunday to make matters worse. So every single possible doctor's office is closed. There's nobody to call. And we went into the living room, sat down and he was like, like, what is happening? And I was like, what, what do we even do? Like, we wanted to get pregnant so bad. What do you do when you actually get pregnant? Who do you call? Um, and we just kind of like sat there not knowing what was going on. And then I called the doctor the next morning. And since I was doing the fertility treatments, but I had taken a break 
they got me in right away. So I went for a blood test the very next morning after I found out, which is not usual. And they confirmed it. And then the day after that, I had my first ultrasound. And I remember the doctor, Dr. Keegan, I believe, walked in and was like, how did that happen? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea. So it was, it was pretty crazy. I like remember it just like it was yesterday. It was crazy. When did it start to feel real? Never, never, (laughs) never. I remember, well, I found out when I was pregnant, I was just about to turn two months pregnant. So I found out pretty late in the game. Thank God, because I don't know what I would do if I found out really early. I would not be able to compose myself. So I found out pretty late. Um, And then I just remember, I even remember hearing her heartbeat and still being like, this is not real. And I remember like even up until she was born and like I literally we went through our birth and she, they put her on my chest and I literally looked at her and I was like, what is happening right now? Like I just, none of it was real. And like having her home, I would just like stare at her. And I'm like, when do they like come to take you back? Like, <laughs> do I get to keep you? Like I get to take you home? Yeah. So it was, it was crazy. I don't think, I mean, even now I sometimes look at her and I'm like, this is the weirdest, wildest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> so I don't think it ever feels real. I don't think, yeah, not even birthing her. I was like, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so how has just your whole journey of infertility and then finally getting pregnant naturally, how did it change the way that you approached being a mother once Cami arrived? It's just like, you look at her, like she's a little miracle. You literally do like everything she does, every like little piece of her. I like look at her sometimes and I'm like, this is crazy. Like I, we like made you like you're half of us. You're like, in the flesh, like you have little like bones and it's crazy. It's like the craziest thing. So when I became like an actual mom, it was, you just like, you don't take anything for granted. Like every single thing we went through that was so bad and so awful, just like wipes away. And you just like, everything she does is like the best thing in the entire world. So it's crazy. I love how on that list, it was like, she has bones. <laughs> As if no other child has bones. <laughs> if it's your child, then there's their bones, so it makes it even better. <laughs> um, I'm dying. <laughs> I can't. Once you had Cami and you realized that you could get pregnant on your uh-huh. own, when did the itch start to start? Would the baby fever start to try for number two? So I think it was like a toss up because I think from like the very second she was born, I was like, okay, I'm ready. Like, give me another <laughs> one. I was like, Let's keep putting them out like cupcakes. Um, but then there came like the negative, like after so many infertility issues, your first question is like, how long is this going to take? Is it like, mm-hmm. is it going to be okay again? Or am I going to have to do the exact same thing that I went through the first time? So we, we did sit down and we talked about it and we were kind of like in a mix up because we wanted another baby so bad. We we're like, yeah, of course. Like we definitely want to do this again. Um, but we were like, I don't, I don't know if I can like do that. Like it was so mentally draining and physically and mentally on like us, on our marriage, on even our friendship. Like we just, it was just so hard. And like the stressors of all of that was, were so difficult on us that we're like, do we really want to do that again? Or should we just like be happy with what we have and, and just move from there? 
Um, and then a couple months later, we were like, okay, let's just not really think about it and just like, let it happen. Like, let's just not stress about it. Um, and then we decided that we want to start trying again when we knew that that was what we wanted to do. And then when did you find out that you were pregnant again? So I found out on February, I'm not even sure what date it was now. I kind of like erased it from my memory, <laughs> but no. So I found out that I was pregnant with Cami on March 19th. So that was yeah. March 19th of 2000 and Seventeen, if I can do math. Yeah, seventeen. <laughs> I right. don't do. I don't do yes. years. I think it was. Yeah, it was. I don't so know. Time something along those fast. lines, guys. <laughs> so, um, so that happened then, and then this timeline was funny because the second time around, it was matching up almost perfectly with Camilla's. Mm-hmm. So, I think with Cami, I got pregnant around February twenty fifth, and this time around, it was more like February fifteenth. So it was almost perfectly lining up. Um, and we found out, I think not like Camilla's because Cami was two months in with this one. I think I found out like days after conceiving. So I was like very, very early, yeah. um, which was a total, like complete game changer. Cause it was completely the opposite. Um, but yeah, it was around February, around February ish. Like 15th. I remember you told us right before Luna was born, right, right before we found out like two days it was crazy. We, we were like, let's just tell people, like, let, let's just not hold it in. I remember that phone call too, because Chris calls Stefan and he was upstairs and I could just tell by the way he said it. And then he came downstairs. I was like, Natalie's pregnant. He's like, yeah, how do you know? I was like, I can so just crazy. <laughs> It was crazy. It was crazy. And we went back and forth. I mean, it was funny because one of our main concerns were was Luna's birth. And we were so excited and so pumped for you guys that we like didn't want to take anything away from it. And we like really did think about it a million times before telling anybody. Um, and then we were just like, no, like we, they, we, they need to know. Like we can't, we can't, we can't keep this in any longer. I needed all the welcome distractions at that point. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. So at what point did you start to notice that something wasn't right? So for some reason, even when I took the test, I like just, I just, I don't know if it was like me and my like infertility self going back to that negative mind in the beginning, or if it was just like an intuition that something was not right. Um, but I even like when we were, I was feel, I felt like, why, why, why am I not excited to tell people that I'm pregnant this time? Or like, why am I like not excited? Like there was something like taking away from that. And I just feel like I had a gut feeling that something was off. So I was like not letting myself get too excited. I like didn't want to do the things I did with Cami, And I just didn't know if it was like that or if I was just going back to like, what if like all these what ifs, like it's too good to be true because we had only been trying for three months, which was- crazy. And by trying, I mean, just like not really paying mind to it. So it was crazy to me. I was like, this is too good to be true. Like this can't happen. And that's kind of like my anxiety, mental, weird state that I get in. Um, and we went in for our first, no, I made an, an appointment. So this was like a couple of weeks of feeling pretty sluggish and not really like with it anymore. Um, and I went in for that first appointment and they did the ultrasound and like, I, for some reason, I just knew like I had so much anxiety going into it. Um, and 
we got to the first doctor's appointment. We went. Funny enough, my mother-in-law was with us. And she, because she had to take Cammie because there was nobody to babysit her. So we were about to go into the room and we were going to bring everybody with us. And for some reason, I just had a feeling and I looked at Chris and I was like, maybe they should just stay in the lobby because like you just, you never know. Mm -hmm. So they stayed in the lobby. They did the ultrasound. It like comes up on the screen and it's like black. And I looked at him and I was so confused. And I was like, but like my test came back positive. So how is that? How is there like, where's the baby? Like what's, there's nothing there. Um, and the doctor like immediately like sat down and was like, you could already tell his reaction. Um, and we were kind of like dumbfounded. Like we didn't really know what to do next. Um, and they kind of explained it and it was between like a blighted ovum or like an unexplained thing that was going on. So they started talking about like all these options and they were like, just giving me all these options for like surgery or like taking things, like doing all that stuff, like what you proceed after a miscarriage. But we kind of sat there, like it could also not be a miscarriage. Like I'm not going to put my body through something like that and something crazy. If there's a slight chance at all that there could be something there. So we kind of waited it, waited it out. And we're like, we're, we're going to wait. We're not going to do anything crazy. And then we went in for a second ultrasound. So the second ultrasound was kind of a high for us because they ended up finding a yolk sac. A yolk sac is like pretty much what ends up turning into the baby. So um, there wasn't anything crazy there yet, but there was some sort of action. Something was growing. So I was like, if there's something growing, then that's a good sign. And we kind of didn't really get any answers because just kind of like a, you still have to wait. Mm -hmm. So this was February. So now we were in like early April and we still had no answers. So this was kind of like, it was a hard period because you like want to be excited, but like you can't. And then on top of everything, your body is still changing. I think right after I found out I was pregnant, I was like maybe a week or two and I could, was already bloated. I was already showing and my stomach was like hard. So it's like throughout the days, it was like, your belly's getting harder. Your boobs are getting bigger, but like, I can't get excited. Like, I don't know what's going on. So then our last ultrasound was the one that we waited for. and. Um, we went in and there was no heartbeat. So I felt like I was kind of mentally already prepared for that because of the highs and lows that we had already been going through. This was kind of like, okay, I finally got an answer, even if it was one that I didn't want to hear. Mm -hmm. So, um, we went through the appointment, they went through all the protocols of all of our options and I had to schedule a DNC. So I was kind of, relieved that we got an answer. But at the same time, I was like, I'm going to be have to, I have to be put under, I have a toddler at home. I don't know who's going to take care of her that day. Chris is going to work. Chris is going to have to come home. Like all these things that as like a mom, you first think of like, what am I going to do? Um, and so we scheduled the DNC. I was a wreck going like leading up to it because I didn't know what to expect. And my DNC was scheduled for Thursday and Tuesday night. I started bleeding. So we didn't really know what was going to happen. And I had read and knew that even if you're bleeding, even if you do have a miscarriage, it always ends up in a DNC. So regardless of what was going on, I still kind of had to have that mindset. Like you have to be ready for that surgery. Um, and then it just kind of, we had our appointment um, after I was bleeding the next morning I went in and I remember something had come out 
in the bathroom TMI, but, um, we went in and I didn't have to have a DNC. Like everything had cleaned out by on its own. And that was just kind of the way it was meant to happen. And I remember like vividly the doctor says I can cancel my DNC and I don't have to go. And we kind of shook hands when all were all that. And he left. And I remember just like losing it. I was like, I felt like I could finally breathe. I was like, I had that like pressure and like weight on my shoulders for months. And even like, I didn't even think of like the aftermath or what was going to happen after. But I like in that very second, it was like all the worries of the DNC and everything just like leaving my body. And I like could breathe. I felt like for months just wasn't breathing. (laughs) It was awful. What was it like taking care of a toddler while having the weight of the world on your shoulders? It was crazy. It was crazy. I remember I, there were so many times that I would want to, I would want to cry. And I also didn't want to like scare her. I didn't want to like put that worry on her. And there were just things that she just didn't need to worry about. Or even as a toddler, I know that they can feel your energy. So I was doing the best that I could literally like draining the life out of me so that she wouldn't feel that. And I remember there were some nights she would just go to bed and I would just sit on the couch and just cry and for hours. Cause that's just what I needed. And I remember just through the whole thing, she was like the most, like the biggest support that I could have ever had. Like Chris was amazing through it, but without her, it just like, it wouldn't have been that easy. Did you tell her that you were pregnant? Mm-hmm. We went through the whole thing. We put a dress on her. We, it's a big sister. We like, I don't know. It was, it was crazy. I have the pictures on my phone still. I haven't deleted them. I like scroll through them. And then when I see them pop up, I like scroll through them really fast. <laughs> but I like can't bring myself to delete them because she was a big sister. She is still a big sister. She'll always be one. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, we went through the whole thing and we were so excited and we would like envision what it would be like with her and a new baby. and. Yeah, it was, that was rough. I can't even imagine. But once you kind of felt that release and you mm-hmm. could breathe again, what was that process like kind of? It was accepting. Yeah. I mean, learning. you have to like, I know that, I mean, I kept, I kept like going back and forth. I would have days that I was so good. And I was like, okay, well, I'm fine. Like this is finally done. Like no more worrying about this. Like no more pressure, no more any of that. Like now I can focus on her and like just center my attention to her. And then there were days where I was like, I can't, like, how do you just like let go of something like that? Um, and I couldn't like fathom sometimes. And, and I actually had a miscarriage the Thursday before mother's day. So I was, I would just go back and forth, like, okay, this is a day to celebrate. Like, we're going to have fun. We're going to like, just this is it. Like we have a miracle baby. We got it. And then there were days where I like, I was like, I'm not celebrating this day. Like, it's not like, it just, I just felt such like a sad energy in me that I was like, I can't possibly be happy to be a mom when like, I am happy to be a mom, but I also am sad. It was, it was such a difficult time period where it fell. It was just, it was awful. And then I had to like, keep going and scrolling through the fact that the timelines would have been identical. So Cammie's birthday is four days before mine and this baby would have been four days before Camilla. So it was, it was hard. It was rough. It was a rough, rough, rough grieving period, I would say. I can only imagine that so many women feel that way though. It's, it's crazy. Hard, 
not to feel guilty because yeah. you, like you said, you do have that miracle baby, but then mm-hmm. you're, you're grieving. Right. And I would go back and forth with that all the time. I would just be like, why am I not like grateful for just having this one baby? But then I would sit there and have some days where I was just like, why me? And I would have like this selfish mindset where I was like, I know this is common. I know this is happening. It happens to everybody. And it's like one in five women have a miscarriage. And then I would just sit there and be like, yeah, but why me? Like, why, why did it have to like be me to go through that? And that it was just such a, like a, a hard mindset to get out of. And I just didn't, I didn't know how, like, this isn't talked about. People don't, openly like talk about their miscarriages or their losses or how they grieve or how they're not okay after having a miscarriage. And when I was going through mine, crazy enough, I think it was Hilaria Baldwin who was going through the same exact thing, the same period that I was. And she was being super candid about it on Instagram. And I feel like that was the only thing, the only person I knew that would be willing to talk so raw about what was going on. Um, because people just don't, there's such a stigma around like, oh, I had a loss, but like, it's not normal to open up and talk about it. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was thinking about before we did this podcast, it was just thinking about how amazing it's been watching you become like a wife and a mom and, and just knowing that, um, that you're brave to share this because on Instagram, we kind of, we share those highlights, but no one like talks about the really hard raw stuff. And yeah, it's just kind of like an, Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. But like, you could have had a loss, but you just don't talk about it. Like nobody does. But it's also hard for, for like someone educate me. What, what do we say to someone who, who is going through a loss? Honestly, I think just being supportive, like literally I, I feel like when people would find out about my miscarriage, the first thing it would just be like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And then like, that's it. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't dive deeper into it. They wouldn't ask anything else because it's scary. You don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get through somebody who just went through that. But the only thing, honestly, that I would, I would have loved, which so many of my family members, you did so many of my closest friends, they, everybody just like wanted to make sure you ha- you knew that you had somebody to talk to. And I think that that's like the most important thing you can do for somebody going through that, even if they don't want to talk about it, even if they don't right. want to share. But I loved when one of my friends would just text me and be like, hey, just so you know, I'm here to talk. And like, you take it from there. Like I, the yeah. ball's in your court. We can talk about it. We can go on about it for hours or we can just not, but just yeah. know that I'm there. And I think it's so important for people to do that. I think it's important to make it open-ended too, because I think that's where I would feel awkward. Yeah. Like, of course, I'm always here to listen, but I don't want to force you to talk about it. Yeah, totally. Totally. But I feel like we, the most important thing that I wanted to do when we got pregnant was tell the people who I would want to be there for me if I had a loss. And I think that we strategically did that in a way where the people that we had to tell were that we had a loss we're the first yeah. people to reach out and be like, what do you need? Like, can I help you? Like, I'm here. My heart is open to you. And it was, I think, the best decision that we could have ever made because we told people very early on and I had a loss and everybody was just so amazing. Like the group and support circle that we had was just crazy. That's such a hard and brave thing too, to even tell that part of it, of having yeah. the loss. Mm-hmm. I think it's it was 
that was hard. I think on me, there were certain people where I was like, okay, I'll deal with it. Like I'll tell them. And I think the worst part is that we don't talk about like what the husbands go through. Like nobody asks the man. And I know that it's like, it's obviously all about the woman, like that you, you're the one that has to go through the pains of loss and then the grieving and then the actual miscarriage, which is pretty much like giving birth. And then everything that comes after it, which is Mm -hmm. just a train wreck, but nobody asks them how they're feeling or how they're coping and how like they're, yeah. And it's, it's hard. I know that, I mean, my husband's not a crier. I wish he was, (laughs) I wish he was, but, um, he's not. And he's, so strong and is the best support system that anybody in the world could have as a friend or husband or anything. And I would just, I remember I would internalize my feelings some nights and I would just like start ballistically crying and he would just be strong. He would just like be great. And I remember the first, very first time, like when we officially accepted the loss, we just sat there. Literally all he wanted to do was just hold me. He was like, you don't have to do anything. You can just lay here and just do nothing. There's like, like be, do whatever you need to do. And I would just have days where I would just check in on him. Like he'd go to work and I would just check in on him and be like, how are you doing today? Like, are you okay today? Like, how is everything going inside your head? Um, And I think it's so important for us to also be in tune with them and make sure that they're grieving properly and that you're grieving together as opposed to grieving separately. Yeah. That I didn't even think of that. Yeah. It just goes to show that I'm sure not yeah. many people do. Not many people do. I mean, these these husbands that like deal with all of our hormones and all of our growing parts. No, it's it's true. I mean, I he, I definitely put all of my everything that I went through, like the way that I went through it was all thanks to him. I people everybody had something to do with it and so did our daughter, but Chris was like the majority of the reason why I made it through that for sure. And I know it was so hard on him too, because that baby was very wanted for sure. And that baby will. And they will. Yeah. They're always going to be remembered. I remember the first, Oh, and also what you can do. I, I, for one, when I had my loss, got so many flowers, so many people Mm. got me flowers, but one person in particular got me a plant, which I thought was so special because the day after our loss, we went outside, both of us with Cami, and we planted them in the backyard. And that was kind of going to be our, like, we called it our angel baby plants because we just wanted a little part of that at our house that we could like do together and kind of have that as like a grieving, like, okay, that happened, but like, we're stronger and it's not going to be forgotten. It doesn't just like get wiped away. Yeah. And how much stronger you are now as a yeah, family. Exactly. A hundred percent. So I have to be completely honest that I've totally been talking about your, your next chapter on my podcast and just how excited I am for you and just how mad I've been about like people giving you shit for it. <laughs> so you want to move to Green Bay, Wisconsin, right? I do. Oh, and- yes. was any part of that decision I I mean I know it happened so fast and yeah watching the wheels turn and you guys light (laughs) up for some something you love so much but was any of that inspired by the really rough time that you just went through I feel like in a way it probably was probably subconsciously 
Um, but it, it's just like, we, we sat down one day, we were just talking about like, what makes us happy? Like what brings us joy? What do we want in our future? What is it that we like are growing towards? And anyone who knows Chris knows that he's not impulsive. Like he will sit there and think about something for 87 years before we actually do anything. And that could be literally even getting a pizza. So it, it takes a while. And when we started talking about it, we were kind of like joking. Like, oh, okay. Like maybe we'll move to Wisconsin. And after just a few conversations, I looked at him and I was like, are we kidding though? Like, is this a joke or is this something that like deep within, like we want to happen? And we spoke about it. And as a family, we just knew that we can't live for everybody else anymore. It's us and a baby. And we kind of like, we, it just brings us so much joy to think about her being raised in a different atmosphere. Like there, we loved, it's not saying that we had bad childhoods because I, I mean, I for one had a rough childhood, but Chris had a great one. And it says, it like says, speaks wonders that he is willing to do that um, and move across the country to kind of pursue what our family needs. Mm -hmm. And I, I am just so excited for you and it makes me so happy because (laughs) I can't tell you how many people that are in our lives that just don't have the courage to even do an ounce of something that makes them happy. Not at all. And we just, there's just some lives that feel like they can just remain the same. And I feel like that's great. Like, I think everybody should just be doing what brings you joy. So if it's living your constant life that you're living now, then that's great because that's what is meant for you. But we just knew that that wasn't, it's not necessarily the path that we want to take. And we're never impulsive. We never like just think of a decision and just do it. And we there's it's just something that we together were like this is what we want together and there was not one bit of either one of us that was like mm, maybe and we were just like no this is definitely what we want to do <laughs> i've been talking about it i may i say i've been talking about it but i think it was only one podcast where <laughs> <laughs> maybe three <laughs> maybe five sure at this point <laughs> i'll say one but maybe more how hard it is when you want something so much and you know that it makes you happy and then the uh-huh. way that people react not because it's about you but it's because it's about something within them that they don't have the right. courage to do and that must be so hard after it's everything hard. you've been through and uh-huh. wanting to just like have your happy place and people are like, uh, yeah, you crazy. Are you okay? Are you you good? (laughs) Do you know the winters? Um, but I mean, it's, it's so difficult, but we have always, I feel like been those We're I'm very hard headed and he is the easiest going person in the entire world. (laughs) So, um, he's, I just feel like from the very beginning, we wanted to get married and we're like, regardless of what people say, you can say everything you want, any opinions you have. We are always open to listening to other people's advice, other people's commentary. We're always open to it, but ultimately we're going to do what we want to do. And we've always been for like, since, since the very beginning, we've been like that. So getting married young, we did it. And having a baby young, we wanted to do it. And we ultimately did it. And now with moving, we were kind of just like, this is something that we have to do. And regardless of 
the judgments, commentary, advice, or anything. Ultimately, like we are the only two people that know what our family needs. So it's great. And I love hearing advice, but at the same time, it can only go so far <laughs> with a hard-headed person. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true because you're right. You're, you're the only one who knows what your family needs right. and what's going to make you happy. Exactly. And once you have a baby, it all changes. You, it's all just about them. And the only thing that we would talk about is like a million dogs and babies running through fields of green. And that's all we want. And a pig. We promised me a pig. <laughs> so the pig needs to come too. But, but that's just kind of like what we wanted. We just knew. We knew right away. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> Thanks. Now we just have to have this house sold and we're good to go. I know. Ugh. So I like to end this podcast yeah. as I as I prepared you before. <laughs> for words of encouragement for anyone listening that might need a pick me up or just some words of encouragement to keep yeah. going through a hard time. So what are your wise words to end on? My wise words. I think it's just to find your happy. Um, I had actually a lot more wise words of wisdom prepared, but now it's changing. Um, but no, I honestly, I think it's just to find you're happy. Um, like do, do what speaks to you. Like you need to do what's good for you and what you know that your heart needs. So if it's getting married young and that's going to make you happy for the rest of your life, then that's what you need to do. And if it's moving across the country, then that too. And if it's, having a million babies or having none, I think that you just need to do what speaks to you. Don't worry about anybody else. Oh, in this case, maybe my husband and my child and my dog. But besides that, don't worry about like the outside world. Just like listen to yourself, listen to, listen to what you need, what your relationship needs, what your life needs, and just do whatever you need to do. Thank you for listening to the Enlightened Podcast, a movement that empowers mindful motherhood and celebrates every journey. If you would like to be part of our community of amazing and soulful women, find us on Instagram at Enlightenedhood. For real motherhood stories and inspirational articles, you can check us out online at Enlightenedhood.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, you mindful mamas.